0: Uh, Welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, everyone's favorite designer on the internet, creative genius on Twitter, and we've got Trung Fan, Trung T Fan on Twitter, the meme god of tech Twitter, Meme Master Flex himself. Let's kick it off boys, it's been a big, big, big week. Obviously, we're going to talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter today but we'll get to that in a little while. Trunk, do you want to kick us off with Meme of the Week?
1: Yeah, we'll tease off Meme of the Week. As you mentioned, Elon Musk did buy or agreed to buy Twitter uh, with uh, the Twitter board for $44 billion, but we've swapped so many memes, guys, Oh, yesterday. Yesterday, our three-way chat was just out of control. I mean, but that, these...
0: <laughs> this has been the busiest day on Twitter, right, for the year, yeah, for sure. exactly. Definitely.
1: So these two, uh, we laughed pretty hard on. Uh, for the listeners, we got two memes of the week. Uh, one of them is a picture of uh, Luke Crywalker, the meme character. That, uh, the <laughs> is that, lady that the w- official name, yeah? <laughs> yeah, Luke Cry- <laughs> you Wait, Bilal. Wait, You're I'm the one who sent it to you. You're yeah. the one that sent it to me. So <laughs> Luke Crywalker is a, a, a lady who, uh, who cried when Donald Trump was elected. Fair enough, right? You can feel certain ways about certain individuals being elected to office. I get that. But I guess it became iconic. So somebody took that image of her crying, uh, this iconic cry, like, you know, like the mouth open, staring in the sky, like asking God why. And they said, uh, a bunch of people are going to take uh, that image and turn it into the left wing version of Twitter. It's going to be called bitter. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's for the uh, listeners. And then the other meme was from a senior recruiter from Twitter. If I'm getting this right, uh, her name is Dahlia Katab. And it's a famous photo of, uh, a uh, Roman, a uh, uh, Roy from uh, a Succession, when he sends it, accidentally sends a dick pic to his dad. But Dahlia writes me Spoiler alert! Off- Jesus yeah. Christ, <laughs> Spoiler alert, Sorry. If you Sorry. haven't seen Succession, apologies, but uh, she—it's her saying me delivering an offer to a candidate, just as the news of Elon buying Twitter breaks. Can you imagine that? oh my goodness I didn't actually realize
0: when I, I read this I already found it of funny but I didn't realize she actually worked for Twitter that she, makes it even better so she's better.
1: either a senior recruiter for Twitter I should probably figure this out right now or she is somebody that recruits for Twitter separately like uh, via an HR firm but either way absurd
0: insane insane week um so, look, boys, I think we just let people know what we're talking about today. We're obviously going to discuss Elon Musk buying Twitter. We're going to break that down. There's there's a little bit more to add there. Um, we're going to talk about SBF, our favorite, Sam Batman fried um, talking about DeFi with your boy Matt Levine, is it? On, from, from Bloomberg, Bloomberg yeah. Um, and we're also going to kick it off with the one-year review. This is something we've teased for a few weeks, and we got some amazing... Feedback in the Telegram group. So thanks for everyone who submitted comments there. um And we kind of went just to summarize. We've never really got to kind of market on the pod and talk about like how it's been for for us, our favorite moments and stuff like that. So why don't we just kick off with that? I mean, what's it been like for you, boys? I know we've we've we talk every week. We're in the pod. We're in the DMs. Obviously sharing stuff, but we don't actually get to like reflect on it that often. So I'll hand it over to you guys.
1: <laughs> and right,
0: for people right. listening for... It's, they're both pointing at each other so, uh, so
2: I, I guess my my biggest reflection or maybe this is a non-reflection is like how easy it's been to like rack up a year of these just uh, we it almost feels like we've been doing it for a month or two it's just sort of a you know conversation's been flowing for the last year and I think the Having, the, you know, this is my, my world typically is not like real world events, you know, like having, like keeping pace with what's going on in the world. So that's like, like that just gives you prompts to always have something to talk about. And there's like, uh, uh keeps the conversation going in that sense. So been a cool creative outlet and different from like what I do on a day-to-day basis, distracting at times as well. Like just the, you know, got, uh, gives me an excuse to read or stick on stuff that maybe I wouldn't have been reading a year ago, but I loved it. It's been great. Met some amazing people, obviously the telegram just, it's kind of surreal to see and read that like us just essentially dicking around on a Tuesday afternoon. It's so verbal entertaining shitposting as drunk
0: yeah, well, uh, talked about
2: it. So, But this is the future, I guess. So, uh, enjoying it. And Thank you to anybody listening to this has uh, been supporting it from, uh, from whenever even this is the first episode you're listening to we appreciate it it's fun
0: yeah definitely hit that nail on the head Uh, trying anything else from you we can talk about favorite moments in a minute but i know you are secretly very analytical and you've probably got an essay that you're going to (laughs) summarize in about 30 seconds now but
1: what has it been for you man the i think jack's point it's felt so easy and it has Listen, we put in work, right? Like I spent an hour preparing for this episode because I do respect our listeners' time. And we've learned firsthand how hard it is to grow a podcast. Bilal knew this already with his own podcast, Creator Lab. But Jack and myself, I guess, our first time really diving into the podcast game. It is hard to grow a podcast, right? They're just like, you can't do a Twitter thread for podcasts. (laughs) I mean, it's, uh, although, uh, uh, one of our listeners, George Mack, um, the legend did say, hey guys, like you're, you know, you're leaving some low-hanging fruit. Like uh short YouTube clips are essentially the Twitter threads of uh of uh growth hacking for YouTube. Um so one thing I will add on that is a year in, uh, for the listeners, they probably don't know, but we have teased it a little bit. You know, we kept saying, Oh, big things are coming. <laughs> We've been saying this for six yeah. months. Hey <laughs> yeah. guys, big things this are
0: coming.
1: This is the coming. big thing. Yeah. We're still in <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We've been saying it for months, but we know that there's a a lot more we can do that frankly, it's a lot more respectful of our listeners time, right? Like we do want to transition a bit more into YouTube first in the sense of we want to make a lot of YouTube first type of content that is just delivering more jokes, more insights, like better, but doing it in a way that we don't lose like this 90 minutes of verbal shit talking and you just got to sit in and listen to us. So it's a balancing act. Uh, some of the levers to pull is, do we do more episodes? We've talked about that. We don't know. Uh, do we just do one huge recording day and just chop up the best pieces for YouTube? So you can kind of have both uh, versions where you have the fly on the wall. You're sitting with us. We're verbal shit talking. And then we do some YouTube stuff. But we'll see. uh, uh, (laughs) Big things are coming, people. That's what I'm (laughs) going to say. But uh, let me just add uh, one takeaway. Like, if I'm going to get a little serious fan here, it's uh, the famous Jack Butcher tweet from uh, last June. Jack, you remember, is this Jack? First of all, for the listeners, it's a tweet that Jack wrote uh, 90% of podcasts don't get past three episodes. That's 1.8 million people a year that quit or ever.
2: A yeah. So this year. is um this comes from Chris Williamson. If you do you know that guy, he's got a podcast called Modern Wisdom and his Yeah, he's like, he's crushed it. He did a he's big killed it. Jordan Peterson one recently, right? I spoke to yeah, him after yeah. that. So been on the podcast game this podcast circuit for probably two or three years now. And I went on his podcast and he told me this statistic and this Reddit post is somebody finding that podcast and like uh, extracting that uh, that clip. From the okay. conversation I had with him. And uh,
1: so, yeah. Jack, you want so to, what I'll, I'll finish the quote.
2: Thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, 90% of podcasts don't get past episode three. That's 1.8 million who quit. Of the 200,000 left, 90% will quit after 20 episodes. That's another 180,000 gone. To be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, you only need to publish 21 episodes. So, we're nice. headed for the 0.1%, I'm sure, in here, <laughs> boys.
1: But also, like, top one, just like in terms of episodes done, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got like, nothing
2: to do with quality. Yeah. We're just mindlessly recording shit and, you know, (laughs) it happens to place us in a statistical anomaly because we're there. Yeah, pick pick
0: the numbers that suit your narrative, right?
1: But there there it is, right? That's my, that's the only thing I want to add that was like semi-serious and what I will say is I think we have done enough and enjoy. uh, Main thing is this, we enjoy it. The moment this becomes not enjoyable, I think all of us are on the same page. We'll be like, you know what, guys? Like, it was an amazing run but if this becomes a chore, we're probably not going to have the same energy and verb for it um, but we, it, that has not even been remotely the case. Uh, there, exactly. Right. There uh, there's, we go. A, there's a famous Jack butcher, uh, uh, uh graph where, uh, uh, it says, you know, you're going on a straight line on the X-axis, nothing's going to You say, this is pointless. And then it all explodes. So I believe we're at the, this is pointless point, but you know, we've done the groundwork, and <laughs> the audience has been so great. That's the other part of it, which is amazing. You kind of teased it. Jack is like the telegram group, but also the just getting random twitter messages like oh my god like this quote from NIA like like my our boy Michael Brandt uh, just uh he listened to our last episode or two episodes ago where I made the ridiculous statement where I'd be a road scholar billionaire which we both all know that would not happen if I drink in coffee but he's like well actually Trump uh caffeine was a really important part of the uh the renaissance and uh hey, maybe you aren't some, some something right so love getting those kind of comments uh from the listeners And yeah, that's the takeaway. I'm happy we made past 21 episodes. The second part is uh, the audience reception has been amazing. And anything forward we do, we really do think about how do we honor the audience's time? Because we know 60 minutes is a big ask.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then uh, that was great. Beautifully summarized. The only thing I'd add is I agree with everything you said. Um, Just, yeah, my perspective is coming in from having done Creator Lab since 2015, 16. There's uh, that was me doing interviews right so there's a lot more that goes into that in a way because you having to convince a guest to come on you do all the prep for the interview all that sort of stuff Um, and there's no one else holding you accountable so if I don't want to do something I don't have to do it whereas with this we've done it every week for 54 weeks or whatever and so that was one thing coming for me like I knew I, I could only do this every week if it was easy enough and you know from day one we've set up editing we've now got it down to Within 12 hours of us recording, we finish on a Tuesday night by Thank the morning. Yeah, I was, I was bro, gonna listen. interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, yeah we wouldn't well, have made
2: thanks, it past people. week one without Bilal. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, we yeah we of not, course. But people.
1: hold on, no, 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 Bilal, stop. <laughs> You're not lending this side. <laughs> the listeners don't understand here. Bilal has been absolutely shouldering the production load 100 percent, not even like 99 percent. And I think
0: I owe 300 bucks or something. We don't know. <laughs> it might be a bit more than that by now. But yeah, we'll. we'll I need to tell you that. Up. But yeah, no, I will say thanks for that. But also, yeah, the editing, like we've had basically two editors and the, the latest one, he's been incredible. And he's just like really taking all the feedback. And uh, he's, you know, we went from several days of turnaround time to doing this within a f- basically a few hours, which is which is really, hard. a lot of people don't realize like, what goes into it, I don't want to bore you with all the details, but it's not like you can just record and put something out straight away. There's a lot of, like, we put the timestamps out every week, we we make sure we cut out stuff if we've lost Wi-Fi connection, you know, those little things, um, and yeah, so that's, that's that part. The other part I'd say is, yeah, obviously, it's been an amazing place for us just to, like, force ourselves to learn stuff, again not to get too serious but that step-in thing we did last week I've had that on my like reading list for like three four weeks and I was like, all right now I need to do it for the pod I'm gonna I spent like three four hours like trying it out you know reading all the things I could read about it and uh, that has been an incredible thing for me personally and I'm sure for both of you as well um, and then honestly for me looking at you know the idea of this podcast was a fun place, we can hang out, we have the same humor, essentially, we're all interested in the same stuff. Uh, we didn't really see anyone doing something similar at the time. I think the closest one we can say that we look up to, in a way, is All In. Obviously, have done an amazing job. They're, they're the number one tech podcast out there nowadays. Uh, But they're, you know, a lot, they're a little bit older. They're a little bit further in their career. A little bit more successful. A little bit more (laughs) successful. But I think on our level, we've, we're also not like just starting from scratch. So there's, we can still offer some unique insights or at least uh, some opinions so i think that's really it's been quite cool to see that idea play out and hear people literally in the feedback say oh i really like all in but you guys do this in a different way or this is more fun for these reasons or you guys do that but with web3 and that is quite cool to see like this idea we had in our heads to to come to fruition but yeah like you said it's still very early we've got a lot more to do um, big things and I was- coming <laughs> big things coming uh, i will say i mean not to downplay it too much but like you know we've grown every every month right so like we have been growing pretty well and um so even that little chart that this is pointless like we're way further down the line than we were six months ago or three months ago and uh, yeah so we'll continue to to keep churning stuff out but that that um feedback from you guys was so helpful because you know like we get one-on-one messages but this is like messages at once with like details of your favorite thing. So I'm going to call out a few of the favorite uh, moments and you guys can tell me if you had anything as well. A few, this was from uh, Dom said, discussing Virgil Abloh and his impact on culture. That was actually one of my favorite episodes and I don't think we even planned it properly, just kind of like we talked about Virgil and then it um, kept going. Super Bowl ads breakdown, takes on Adidas NFTs, cryptodes early on. Understanding Jack Dorsey's 10d chess, front seat fans episode of Rick Burton was a banger. Um, yeah, so there's there's plenty of these. If you're interested, uh, you can check out the Telegram group, and we would appreciate your your feedback there as well. Uh, I'll pass it over to you guys. Is there if you had one favorite moment from the last year? Is there anything that sticks out?
2: Maybe the Google, the the Lau Google suit. That was a good. That was a good name. I that forgot was, about
1: that. Bilal, the only uh, for the for, for listeners that don't remember or didn't have a chance to hear it, Bilal is the only Google employee ever to show up at an interview wearing a suit.
0: That was that was good. I, I've got that visual. Nice, twenty-one-year-old, clean-shaven, not like nowadays. Yeah, very green. um trunk what about you, mate?
1: Uh, I listed off a bunch. So we'll go down memory lane here for the listeners. Uh, uh, Tom Osman was uh, probably my favorite episode. So, uh, Tom Osmond sold, uh, uh, the ether rock for a million dollars. You guys probably remember that was like when the NFTs were like, that was one of the moments where people were like, Oh, it was that rock and probably people with the $69 million sale. Those were the kind of the two iconic moments of, uh, M- NFT year. Uh, the other one, uh, a couple more NFTs, actually, uh, Jack, cause episode one, our very first episode was Jack breaking down the sale of, uh, he did an NFT uh, it was the verified one where he basically showed what an NFT was and it just had a, a verified tag I think at the time that was a 150k sale but forget about the price or whatever it was just like wild to hear like that that was when I was like what is going on and then attached to that joke was how basically all 2021 Jack's just making these like Nostradamus like predictions and me and Bilal are sitting on our thumbs making zero alpha
0: <laughs> Yeah. That that was... I would say uh, the the Tom Osman one was probably my favorite episode. There's been quite a few, but that one was like the best, like, the most banter one. Like, it just perfectly clicked. And we already know Tom. He's a legend, you know. I will say Rick was also probably the one that surprised me the most because I had spoken to him over, like, DMs and texts, but never in person. And then by the time... And we knew he's, like, kind of a wacky character, right? Like, he's funny, but... He, like, he dropped so much knowledge on that one and was hilarious and could have said 17 things that will get you cancelled, which I also <laughs> respect. So uh, that was probably another um, another one as well.
1: Yeah, Rick, what, uh, the, he just came out guns blazing with so much. I mean, I knew just That's from That's going to be Lindy, music, like, that
2: episode, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah.
1: That'll be uh to your point jack with the lindiness i think that is one thing we could tease for our listeners in the uh, moving forward that, you know something that does matter is just stuff that we can do a bit more evergreen that it that, that does have the potential to go lindy i think that will be part of this value matrix when we joke about big things coming but uh jesus <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> paul mckinsey People, McKinsey <laughs> is on it. McKinsey is looking at NIA and how to monitor. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, although this one was fun just recently, obviously when Nick Majulia was on, uh, uh, author of Just Keep Buying. Yeah, that was we had really the, good as well. We had the Jack Dorsey moment. Jack live responding to the exact moment we're talking about him and his issue with Elon. Uh, that was great. And then I will say that uh, my last note here, on the most memorable thing of the first year of podcasting NIA with you guys, is uh, getting some of these hate messages or these, uh, these jokes. I wouldn't even call them hate messages. Like here's one of the best backhanded compliments I ever got was on uh, the, that Nick Majuli episode. Uh, the, uh, the user's name on YouTube is Pineapple Bun.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a legit person.
1: Yeah. yeah, Pineapple Bun writes, I hate to say this, on Twitter, Trunk seems like a genius, but on this medium, YouTube, he seems otherwise... And then he just goes, dot, 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 yeesh, cringe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm a genius on Twitter, apparently, but I'm cringe on YouTube. And uh, there were a lot of early other comments in the year. Listen, 90% comments are very positive. But a couple ones from the earlier episodes were like, Tron's talking way too much. We actually, remember, we addressed it. We're like, guys, we heard you. Tron's going to talk less. Thank you for your comments. But pineapple bun, thank you. Uh, for the backhanded compliment, that's all I
0: have to say. <laughs> yeah, that feeds Trunk soul, man. I know, I, I can tell that is a, the motivating, the haters motivate Trunk for sure. Um, all right, boys. Yeah, I mean, that last thing I will say actually is it will be cool to look back, especially how crazy last year was, with all, especially the NFT stuff. To be able to have captured that every week is going to be oh, so cool. Like I was amazing. thinking even like text messages with friends from 2017, near Christmas where we're like, oh, my God, Bitcoin's hit 19K. And like all this like just the crazy euphoria. But we not only did that over text, but we had that on an hour a week capturing all this crazy stuff happening. And Jack obviously being a huge part of like the NFT side. um, Yeah, that was really fun. So even just for that alone, if zero people had listened, it would have been worth it. Uh, But yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's hopefully more of those to come. All right, boys. Uh, anything it's gonna else only before we get wrap more up?
2: mental from here? Is my prediction. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll be saying this again this time next year. Hundred percent, man.
0: All right. So uh, yeah, again, thank you guys for all the the messages and support. We uh, got a lot more coming for you. And um, let is let's get into the next two main topics. Where where do you guys want to go? Should we talk Elon or should we do SBF? Edge of the internet, DeFi stuff first.
1: Let's hit it, Elon. You know, let's get let's get right to the meat of things. I feel yeah. like
0: Elon is uh, yeah pretty key. So. Trunk, I'm going to pass it over to you because obviously you know not only are you best friends with Elon Musk as we <laughs> described in episode zero the funny thing is we described that before you had much interaction with him but since then Elon's been sharing your memes you guys are probably texting texting <laughs> basis by this point I'm I, I, not sure I, I gotta
1: say we are not but uh that would be a maybe that, that that's a stretch goals when we say big things coming that's what we mean boys
0: <laughs> stretch goals yeah <laughs> All right, so look, what what has happened since the last time we spoke about Elon and uh, what is some insights people might not know okay. that they might have read elsewhere?
1: All right, I'm going to, let me break down a couple of things because uh, there's a lot going on here and I'm going to need you guys to cut in with your comments and thoughts. But let me first do kind of a quick timeline of where we are. Uh, talk about how the fact deal's not done yet, like he has not purchased it and there are a couple more hurdles to to pass for him to uh, close the deal, including his financing situation, which is very interesting. And then we could talk about uh, what we've seen uh, uh, regarding what the next steps might be. And then the last part is going to be the favorite, I think, here. The worst takes about Elon buying Twitter. Because if you have been on the Twitter platform like we have, histrionics. People, Google the word histrionics. I don't even know what that means. I'm going to look it up right now. But it has been a disaster of bad takes. I guess for some people, it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Histrionic, exaggerated, dramatic behavior. (laughs) Kind of like Luke Crywalker. All right. So here we go. At the end of January, Elon starts buying Twitter stock. He begins by buying about $30 million on the first day. And he continues to do so for the next 10 weeks. At the time that he started buying Twitter stocks, about 35, which means it had not moved since it IPO'd uh, 10 years before. So Twitter as a public company has been a disaster.
2: Hey Tron, can I ask a question before we get to the next bit? Yeah. So these purchases, are these happening before the discussion of him buying or owning Twitter is, is occurring on Twitter or is he doing this like prior to those conversations?
1: The conversations and his, uh, his kind of like throwing out the polls, they happen about a month into his purchases. So okay. He's yeah, yeah. Buying. Uh, yeah. He's picking up about 20, 30 million a day. Ultimately has a 9.3% position that he makes public on April 4th. How do you think now, he's doing that?
2: How do you think he's making those buys?
1: How uh, that- just through a broker. Probably just told his broker, I want to buy, uh, put, put it in. Uh, what you think will not move it too much and not raise too many flags. Just keep doing it nonstop, which is basically what happened.
2: And he, has to, he has to disclose all of those purchases. When he a... passes
1: 5%. Okay. So okay. on March, March 24th, he passes 5% ownership. And this is where a little bit of controversy comes in. He doesn't file the 13D. Oh, that's 13D if you're an activist investor, 13G if you're passive. April 4th, he fires a thir- files a 13G form, says that he's a passive investor. As we all know now... It's not accurate. So he files the form late, which by SEC laws, uh, there's two ways to look at it. Um, It looks like the most they can really do is find him a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is like kind of a joke. Uh, But if he had announced uh, his uh, uh, purchases properly at the 5% mark, he would have saved 150 million less. So some people are saying he actually owes Twitter shareholders 150 million, but the legal loopholes to get, that's gonna be difficult. So, April 4th, it becomes public that he owns 9.1% of Twitter. It's about $3 billion investment. The next day he gets a board seat. We covered this. Now it keeps going. Uh, April 14th, nine days later, he offers $43 billion. Uh, This is after we recorded. So we didn't really cover that. Um, And then uh, that's $54.20 a share. That's about 40% more than when he started buying. So huge premium to when he started buying, but a premium to his uh, announcement is almost 20%. On April 15th, Twitter puts, adopts a poison pill, which means if anybody purchases more than 15% of Twitter, Twitter can dilute them by uh, selling shares to the other shareholders at a discount, which is 50%. This is where it gets interesting. So in hindsight, it looks like Twitter's poison pill was the absolutely responsible thing to do by the board. Uh, because the way they played it was Elon in 2018 had obviously famously said that he had funding secured for Tesla. Uh, Some texts actually just came out two days ago. It looks like he was in very deep talks with Saudi Arabia to take Tesla uh, private. Uh, But whether or not that was quote unquote funding secure is another question. Twitter's board basically forced Elon to prove that he had funding to take uh, Twitter uh, private because by doing the poison pill, Elon now can't just keep buying up stock like at a whatever pace he's doing. He's made the offer, but now they're like, okay, show us the money because you really don't have as much leverage if you can't prove you have the money. So this is where he goes to the banks. And this is the, I'll jump to financing now because it's so interesting. So this is the financing situation for Elon. He is, the deal will end up being about 46 billion, uh, uh, maybe call it 46, 45, 46. And he is personally putting up Thirty-three billion dollars. So let me show you guys this screenshot about something about Elon, and uh, and you Wait, guys that's, will Is it.
0: that a mix between cash and
1: is he has to put up, on stock, to, right? Yeah, he has to put up. Uh, he needs to put up twenty-one billion, and then he has a margin loan of twelve point five billion against his Tesla stock. So some interesting things going on here. So let me show you guys this. Uh, so this just is like Elon puts skin in the game, right? This is what you can you can hate him for a lot of things. But this quote he had, uh, this is a really a, a well-known quote from Elon. He Loving said,
0: these tags, by the way, Trunk. Did you add these tags? No, is This, in your... <laughs> so
1: this is the... Trunk's
0: uh, inspiration yeah. notion board. For the <laughs> listeners, uh,
1: this is from quote.com or wherever that website is. But uh, Elon talks about PayPal. He said, when, I, when he sold PayPal, my proceeds from PayPal was $180 million. I put $110 into SpaceX, $70 million into Tesla, and $10 into into SolarCity. I know that Jack... Appreciate skin in the game here. Okay, so Jack, how much does skin in the game matter for you when you're judging somebody's character, or like not character, but like their commitment to something? It's like some people can get away with putting zero skin in the game, right? Like, look what Elon's doing here.
2: Yeah, I think it's a completely different operating model for life. It's like yeah. you, you either you execute or you die in that situation, right? And there's, I think that you could pull a Nasim Taleb. Uh, quote into here as well the uh there were three like the three worst addictions in life are
1: yeah heroin
2: carbohydrates and a monthly salary
1: (laughs) yes which Which is is obviously
2: aggressive but you know the point he's making is like the
1: The another thing he would say
2: the other thing he would i think this is another Taleb quote is um you know if you don't take risks for your opinion you aren't you aren't anything. I think there's something as aggressive as that, but you cannot fault Elon for having skin in the game. And I think that's been true across the board. And you know, what really made me or, or the thought I had when you pulled that quote up is like the scale of things and, and like the the financial scale that we're talking about relative to those investments, right? Like a hundred million bucks or 30 million bucks. Think about like the multiples a, like that have been created since then in the value of those <laughs> it's companies. I read this weird tweet today that said in 2050 making a thousand making a million dollars is going to be like making a thousand dollars today. Mm-hmm. It's like it's really difficult in 20, to what, comprehend what year was that in 2050. It was I can't remember where I read yeah, it it yeah, was just yeah. some tweet it that was wild. just talking about you know progress money supply all of these ideas that you kind of judge something by the um the mechanism of like the mechanism you're used to valuing things today versus like, um, you know, in 10 years time, what is a $44 billion investment going to look like in the same way that $30 million into Tesla has, has now become what a trillion dollars of value. Um, just pretty wild to think about. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody has an idea of of uh what the path to profitability is because I've n- I've not seen anybody like articulate anything really compelling. But, Trung, I'm sure you're going to go into this like the yeah. the even the terms of borrowing that money requires this exactly, shit right. to be turned around, right? Yeah. So let me and let me put
0: this... actually so could us add one thing, Trung. Yeah, absolutely, not uh, just uh, just to put that in perspective, right? Like the biggest acquisitions. You know, the m- famous ones that we kind of know, Instagram $1 billion by Facebook, Tumblr 1.1, 1. Yeah. 1. 1, Yahoo, YouTube 1.65 by Google, Skype 8.5, Microsoft, you know, WhatsApp, LinkedIn, Slack, all of these are by companies, right? Up to $28 yeah. billion, Slack to Salesforce. Twitter, $44 billion Elon Musk. Not, He's putting a person Not Tesla, 30 30 billion, not right? SpaceX, not exactly. some fund. This is, I mean, obviously he's the richest man in the world, but it's different when a trillion dollar company like Google or one of these companies go and buy and you can, you know, you can say, oh, it's worth it for these reasons. This is like one person. I mean, I I don't think there's ever been anything like this, This right? I believe
1: this is the largest individual uh, buyout of scale. So this is, well, here it is. Uh, uh, Jack or Bilal alluded to it. This was Elon replying to me last April when I put that PayPal stat out. Elon writes... Had no money to invest in Zip2, but my founder equity yielded 15 million after tax. Of that, I rolled 10 million into PayPal, which yielded 180 million. Then, dot, dot, dot. Basic principle is that I would not, invest, not ask investors to risk money on my company if I would not also do so. Dude, look. What? Love that, man. Are you a supporter? Yes. Am I defending everything he's ever done? No. But come on, guys. Just as an entrepreneur, Nobody puts his nuts on the table like Elon. It is absolutely <laughs> out.
0: He is That's the quote of episode so far.
1: Billion dollars. I the deal is forty-four. He's putting up thirty-three billion. Let's talk into what Jack mentioned. Okay, Elon had said, "I don't care about the economics at all." But as Jack alluded to, the lenders care about the economics, right? The, le- the lenders aren't going to lend you if they don't think you can do, uh, make back the money. I don't
2: care about the economics of my mortgage. But yeah, uh, yeah someone...
0: <laughs>
1: well, someone's, we'll does. someone's knocking yeah. on the door. Yeah. So here's the situation. The $13 billion uh, loan, so the part that he is borrowing, not his personal equity that he's putting out, that has about 4 to four four to 5% interest rate based on uh, the, the, the debt quality of a, a company like Twitter. So guess how much money Twitter made in free cash flow last year? 630 million. So all that money to pay the interest, gone. So, but clearly the banks were comfortable, comfortable enough with that. Okay, so now the margin loan against uh, his Tesla stock, this is where it gets interesting and potentially dangerous. So, Tesla stock today is about 950. I think it dropped about 10%. Uh, people are a little bit concerned. If it goes down to 740, the deal, as is presently constituted, might be in danger from the, the margin loan angle. He might have to put up more or, or sell some more equity because that is the agreement is like the Tesla share price has to be this, or we're going to call back the loan, right? So, there's that where it gets risky. So, a third of the deal, about a third or a quarter is with this this margin loan and then the 21 billion is also a bit tricky because he only has 3 billion in cash um he could sell some tesla which will drive the tesla stock down which or he could sell some spacex maybe he has to do that right um but here's the other things that, uh, that could happen. He wants to roll in as many private shareholders as possible. That could be anywhere between how you, you uh, classify between 200 to 2000. It's a big difference, but you really need a couple to come with you, right? Uh, like Jack Dorsey has a billion in Twitter. I'm guessing he's going to come with Elon on this ride. Um, if you could sell to, you know, hit up call, Mark Beanie off or call up your buddy, Larry Ellison. Hey, will you put up 5 billion of this equity? Or will you put 2 billion in this equity? He might get it, right? My guess on the 21 billion that he has to put up personally He'll be able to get 10 billion from the rollover of some friends. I bet Larry Page and Larry Ellison will, will toss him a couple billion. Um, so there that's the situation of the financing. Now the deal itself has other hiccups. So the way that Twitter is currently trading as of uh 154 on Tuesday, uh it, it's pricing in about a 80 plus percent chance the deal will get done. So if it's pricing 100% that the deal would be done, it would clearly be at 24, uh, 54 dollars fifty four forty, right? So let's see where it's at right now. It's about, I think it's around 50 bucks. Yeah, it's about. so they're pricing about 80% chance it's going to get done. And then here are the other things. Yeah, it's $50, bucks, forty nine right, so a couple of other elements. Why did Twitter boards move? Uh, we kind of discussed this briefly in the episode, but it looks like they kind of defaulted to that they were just going to be a fiduciary. They looked at the broader landscape. It seems like no one else offered anything better, which probably isn't surprising, right? Like we just talked about, Twitter's business has not really improved over ten years. Um, and Twitter's boards, their responsibility isn't to be, hey, uh, Twitter's the most important like media asset in the world. Like we have to protect X, Y, and Z. They didn't. That's not their job, right? They really are just a shareholder uh maximization kind of in, in that situation so they kicked the tires no one else came in um but now they get to present the deal to shareholders I'm a shareholder I'm obviously going to say yes but will other people say no we'll find out right odds are that that typically doesn't happen uh Elon could walk away from the deal because let's say there is a mass sell off in Tesla stock that could change the financing situation he could still walk away but a typical breakup fee is 3% so he'll owe uh, between 1.5 to 2 billion if the deal doesn't get done, done to Twitter. Uh, Twitter could still get a bigger offer, but then they would owe Elon the breakup fee. And then uh, the other kind of big, no, I wouldn't call it big, but antitrust regulators. Uh, in the US, unlikely they'll do anything with this. It's an individual. Uh, EU is a little bit different. They protect data privacy a lot more. They could be like, one criticism that was valid is like, man, it's kind of crazy how Like a single individual could just buy up all the. Do you know how much data is on Twitter? Like, I know people are joking, like, "Oh, stop DMing," but the reality is, like, there's a lot of like very personal information on Twitter, and one dude, what, namely, I mean, the richest guy in the world, just bought it all, right? And there's no regulatory oversight. That is interesting. But other than that, that's kind of the broad scope of uh, information. Throw it to you guys, any other thoughts? Uh, namely, what was your first reaction? I know we've been thinking about it, but I actually didn't think it was going to happen and not this fast. Okay. Yeah,
0: this happens so quickly, right? I remember when we brought it up, we were like, oh, he's going to come on, he's going to join the board, he's going to sh- try to influence things. And then maybe six, 12 months down the line, maybe something will happen and he's like, I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact this is happening like, what, three, four weeks or something like that? That's pretty insane. I mean, you know, it's quite. Inc- I mean incredibly impressive from an entrepreneurial standpoint like that's how I think of it mostly by default is like I'm thinking from this guy's point of view he's like I need I see an underutilized asset whether that is financially you know from the financial side or just because he cares about you know some of the values that it represents on the internet and in the world um you could argue how much he cares about either but that's for another day um uh, but, so that was one thing the second thing is it's quite interesting to see the reception um, I'll just call out a couple of things here's Jack Dorsey Jack Dorsey wrote I love Twitter Twitter is the closest thing we have to global consciousness the idea and, and services, all that matters to me and I'll do whatever it takes to protect both Twitter as a company has always been my sole issue and my biggest regret um, it's been owned by Wall Street and the ad model taking it back from Wall Street is the correct first step Um, last thing, he's got a whole thread here, but just the main thing I'll lastly mention is in principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter. It wants to be a public good at a protocol level, not a company. Solving for the problem of it being a company, however, Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the, the light of consciousness. Uh, He then goes on to say Parag um, is also someone I've chosen and it would be great if they could work together or something like that. Um, That I thought was quite interesting because we did speculate on the show a few weeks ago What's, what's Jack Dorsey thinking, you know? And, you know, it sounds like these two have become boys in the last year, especially. Like, I think they obviously already knew each other from being, you know, leading tech people. Um, but I think, like, even, I remember we covered that talk, him, Jack Dorsey, Kathy Wood, they had a whole Bitcoin yeah. discussion. I think, honestly, again, without knowing the details, when they were interacting online, it's it didn't sound like they were like, Best friends, right like they were like they know each other but they were interacting publicly online, discussing Bitcoin at the time. Um, and just going into what Jack said, you know he, we've talked about 10D chess Jack coming back and buying out Twitter himself or like being able to take it private and make it open and free um, like we've heard Elon Musk talk about um, I think Elon Musk talked about the algorithm and some of these yeah, things becoming open, open source
1: algorithm. Right,
0: which is if you just—that's a huge deal, right? Like, can you imagine Facebook's algorithm or TikTok's algorithm was open source for anyone to see? I mean, that would be crazy. So, um, so I, I thought that was worth mentioning on Jack's side. That the other one I did want to just share was Brian Armstrong, founder of Coinbase, said Elon buying Twitter is a great win for free speech and probably changes the trajectory of the world more than most people realize. Twitter is upstream of media and culture in many ways and it was trending in a very dangerous direction on censorship. So I'm just bringing these up. Obviously, prominent people in our space, um, but more so as kind of like that's some of the kind of uh, talking points people have had. The last question I kind of had I'd love to get your guys' take on is, is the flip side, right? Like I'm sure whether that's on your personal social networks, like Instagram, Facebook, or people sending in text messages or something, you've probably seen the anti Elon brigade too, right? And we've yeah. been sharing. You you might share some of the worst takes in a little while, but like just from an honest standpoint, like what is the actual valid argument for people to be kind of against like him doing this? I know you mentioned there about like a rich person being able to buy. You know, um, you know all that data, but do do you know much about that? like i've I've never fully got it. I, I think I've read a few threads where people are comparing you know like that tweet about uh, ending world hunger and how you know the world Food program showed him and he didn't do anything. he goes to them, and like that that tweet has got like a couple hundred thousand retweets well, or a, something I think
1: here's a here more, we go here's a recent example of that, right? Like people complaining about Elon okay. So you're talking about the strains that are valid. Let's talk about the invalid strains, right? Like this one is like, why isn't Elon spending this money to solve world hunger? Right? It's just so absurd. He, first of all, we've discussed this. World hunger is not a money issue. It is a logistics, supply, awful government issue, right? Spoilage of food is like forty percent of the problem. But having said that, this uh, this uh, individual Margaret Bashir put up a poll. Uh clearly she tried to dunk on Elon, which is a better use of Elon's forty-three billion and world hunger by Twitter. Ninety percent of people said by Twitter. Uh, I think there's other solutions to world hunger. Money is obviously part of it, but that was one bad take. That's part of the whole. I think we shared a couple. Like, why does Elon do this forty-three bill? Uh, that would be. Probably I think the- one
2: more. One more. Uh, man, oh, I thought I screenshot it, but maybe I didn't just contextualizing how much money 43 billion is relative to how much money is, is spent, like, well, $4 trillion a year in tax is paid in the States every year. Yeah. It's like, what the, f- like, this, it's a 0.043% yeah. of that. And we're no closer. Right. I think the, like, I think it's a lazy argument. Um, so that that's where everybody goes. It's like this is an obscene amount of money for somebody to like to like spend on a plaything or whatever else it is. I think um, what that also misses is like what I think we talked about when this conversation first came up, which is the importance of the ideas that are born and discussed and proliferated through a network like this. It's so powerful for influencing how people see the world, like the idea of just pessimism and optimism, like swinging the balance of that, not to say that that's a thing that should, we should have our fingers on the scales of, but at the same time, some of these models, when like some of the business models that exist around media do incentivize doom essentially, right? Like if you want to, if you want to look at any given front page of a newspaper, I'm not saying like newspapers should only report good news far from it, but the idea that fear isn't a lever that is really, really, really pushed on to like drive these economic models is false. And I think transparency into that at the very least would help people figure out what's going on. Right. And I, I think it's going to take somebody who has the ability to look at something from first principles, which we know, um, Elon is famous for founding and building and, you know, acquiring and changing businesses from that perspective. So, like I'm definitely very interested to see um, how that's thought through on a problem that isn't necessarily mechanical. Right? It doesn't have a basis in physics. It's like a biology and a psychology problem, which is not um, an issue that he's not already involved in with stuff like Neuralink and things of that nature. Right? There's a great meme of the you know the Bill Gates microchip versus the Elon microchip. Have you seen that one? Oh, Whereas, yeah, God. Like, I think you shared it before. Bill Gates
1: bad. Bill Gates good, right. Elon bad, right?
2: No, no, the opposite. Whereas like, um, oh, don't, you know, um, Bill Gates is trying to inject me with a microchip. Uh, and then, you know, people on the other side of the meme are like, no, and then Elon's like, I'm going to inject you with a microchip. And they're like, <laughs> you know, where They're like, wanna... take my brain, yeah. Where? Yeah. Where? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. like I it's a up? brand thing. It's a brand issue, right? And I think... If um, one of my other favorite takes is Tim Urban, I think I sent that in the in yeah, the I've group actually got chat. that up here. If yeah, you pull want that me to read up. it out and real quick, Bilal knows Tim Urban, he's interviewed him, so uh, yeah, probably... he,
0: he said uh, to everyone who's suspicious ugh, suspicious of his motives or his competence, all I can offer is I've spent a lot of time talking to him, and I hold, I wholeheartedly believe. His heart is in the right place in these endeavors. He has time and time again solved problems the world believed were unsolvable. Uh, he was quote tweeting another tweet. I can pull that up if necessary, but it's essentially in response to the, a lot of the criticism that you know he's been getting for this. I'm just pulling up the other tweet that he wrote, he said, I disagree with the why would Elon waste his time on Twitter take. Whether we like it or not, social media has a major effect on politics, on global events, on our minds. It's changing the way our world, uh, changing the world in ways that affect everything. I think it's a great thing Elon, for Elon to work on. So that was uh, what he was initially talking about. I think that's an interesting, because you know what we talked about before Brian Armstrong talking about free speech, which for some reason, free speech has become a very right wing. You know, like uh, talking point. Like traditionally, free speech was also a very left-leaning talking point, right? Or something that people would uh, fight for on the left for sure. Um, And and there's just one last one I'll also read out, which is in reference to this uh, this right-leaning thing that people think this is somehow just like a massive win for the for the right wing. Elon Musk is not necessarily even right-wing, right? Like he might be very pro uh, free speech, which might put him on. That side in some cases, but this person tweeted: "Elon Musk is a left, is left-leaning, is a card-carrying member of the ACLU, and is one of its biggest donors, and in and is in charge of a company that has helped revolutionize clean energy, climate-friendly transportation." But some people despise him because he has a lot of money. Again, I don't know if that's true, but uh, I think that it doesn't sound that crazy to me if that was the case. Um, and uh, my only thing I want to add on this is yesterday when I was reading through a lot of this stuff yeah I was laughing at the memes and I was like cracking up a little bit but it was honestly kind of making me a little bit sad because it just, I could just clearly see people who I know who are fairly smart people just picking one side or the other Yeah. and just and it was just like they were retweeting stuff where I'm like just it was just so obvious like they just read new york times or they read like one newspaper i call they read the verge telling people how to deactivate their twitter accounts and they just picked aside and and that was just like okay this is the same thing happening again and again right like no one's really trying to talk about it objectively talk about the pros and cons no one like like Trunk said we're obviously fans of what he's doing but we're not saying he's perfect. He's done a lot of things that are a little dodgy. Like even in this Twitter example, he should have filed the papers way before yeah. it sounds like. And we know he can like manipulate things with with the way he like communicates on Twitter and stuff like that. So I'm not like defending everything he does, but objectively speaking, what he's doing is incredible, right? Like he's one dude and he's like, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. So um yeah. And well, anything like, else? Uh, you no,
1: know? I think you gave a great example. I don't want to make a straight parallel, but it's like, you know how masks became politicized? It's like everything oh, exactly. is like that, right? It's like, everything yeah. is like, you have to be this or you have to be that. There's no conversation in the middle. And we talked about this before. Um, but dude, I actually wanted to bring something up regarding, uh, because I just looked at Tesla. It's actually down 12% today. It wiped out over hundred billion uh, in market Jesus. value. So it's down to eight, uh, it's down to 870. Anyways, we, we have the 740 number. It's not too far from that now, right? Uh, that the, could put the, the financing in peril. But let's bring up Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding socks here, boys. Uh, Jeff Bezos had this tweet that went viral. You're talking about, blah. you asked about criticisms. What potential criticisms are there? So Twitter hasn't been in China for over a decade. I think since 2009, it's been banned. So many people are floating the idea that, okay, well, Tesla has 25% of their business come from China and they also have a, factory in shanghai that produces cars so now they're kind of in the apple situation where before elon had exposure to china he's always had it but now twitter is kind of brought into the mix right so people are wondering is this now a point of leverage for the chinese government to be like hey elon like uh there's a lot of negative stuff going on twitter about china why don't you you know tweet the algo to do something about that or we might just shut down your tesla plant." That's kind of the strain, the strain of thought. Uh, Bezos uh, said, interesting. Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? And then uh, he follows up with, my own answer to this question is probably not. The more likely outcome is this complexity in China is for Tesla rather than censorship for Twitter. Uh, so, And then he did another backhanded compliment. Maybe he's Pineapple Bun from YouTube. Uh, he goes, <laughs> Musk is extremely good at navigating this kind of complexity. Total backhanded compliment. but. I think there's – I'm not saying that there is credence to that. I'm also saying there's not credence to that. There's, there's something there, right? Uh, I doubt that – I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Bezos' here. follow-up to it. I don't think it's going to be a censorship issue for Twitter. I think it's just a Tesla-specific issue. And the reason is if Elon is able to move forward with the opening of the Agome, which, listen, that's going to be a heavy lift, right? But he does want to peel back the hood a bit. And what that does though, is that gives them an avenue to say no to China. It's easy, right? Like, first of all, he's going to probably say no because he's Elon. Uh, uh, He does have that kind of control and he's the richest person in the world or whatever people think. Um, But the other part of it being, you know, if you open source the algo. So again, this is under the premise that we're able to pull this off. That's a big part of it because now you're like hands off, right? He's like, all right, I'm not going to do it because the whole world will see. So that's just the way it is, right? So we'll see. That's, uh, that's probably a point that has some uh, merit to it versus the, what is it he doing with $43 billion point? But coming from Jeff Bezos, is funny because Amazon basically gutted the American middle class by bringing over Chinese goods on the cheap. Um, you know, there's however you feel about that. I think uh, 40% of Amazon's uh, third-party marketplace is Chinese manufacturers or, or, or sellers. So, you know, it's a, a, a teapot calling the kettle black in this
0: case <laughs> um jack anything else you you had thoughts on thanks for that summary trunk
2: no i mean i think we'll probably keep talking about this for a long time i just uh one interesting thing i think is worth looking up for people is go and um like listen to elon talk about money like how he thinks about money i think that's kind of uh a window into his motivations maybe and how he thinks about like, obviously these endeavors that he's pursued over the last couple of decades are like, what does he say? 90% failure rate likely. Yeah. Some like he assigned a ridiculous probability to it succeeding. And I think the idea of having the foresight to understand how important something like Twitter is, and like wanting to develop it with that foresight in mind, which I'm not saying the people that are running it right now don't have that vision. I'm not saying that at all, but I also think, um, even like Jack Dorsey, the, the endorsement from Jack Dorsey to me is like a really compelling reason to support this idea. And almost reminds me of the, um, you remember the Dave Chappelle Trump intro speech? Do you remember that one? On, uh, on Saturday Night Live.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When he uh, died the, the day after the election, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, there's some obviously some parallels there that are like not accurate in this situation, but I don't know. I just think the. I th- it is really easy to fall into an echo chamber and like all the three of us are like, yeah, we think Elon's great because he's an entrepreneur and we like, you know, we have a similar like being even on this podcast right now is a signal of the things that we pay attention to and that we care about. And there's probably another podcast with three people right now saying like the world's going to burn and like everything's doomed because Elon's just bought Twitter. And like, I think one thing that we're not conscious of on either side of the argument is like, everybody is susceptible to like absorbing the meme and like having their own interpretation of it. And like i don't think there's a way past that confirmation bias on on the internet and the weird thing is like being removed from physical interactions with people and just like forcing like echo chambers i think form in either scenario it's just like kind of kind of human nature and then when you take the like physicality out of the situation like it makes it even easier and faster for those things to happen cuz you're not like you know, there's no physical consequence for you. Like the Mike Tyson thing, right? Co- social media has make it made everyone so, so comfortable they say something without getting punched in the mouth. And that's like... And someone found that out this
0: everybody. week. Did you guys see that <laughs> right. on the flight? The yeah, dude was yeah. pestering...
1: So you yeah. got robbed Mike Tyson for pestering him on a flight. Um, yeah, he got uh, messed Jack, up. Jack, I want gone. to say, though, I do want to agree with Jack that I clearly have a blind spot. As I was explaining the China thing, I was like, "Listen, my hand, like, oh, you know, there's something there." And uh, the other one that uh, also is a bit of credence that we should probably peel back a little bit more, but let's not go too deep in. Is it. like uh, somebody tweeted, uh, "What if it was like the Koch brothers that was taking uh, Twitter private?" Right? Totally fair. Like they have this reputation. They're obviously not super active on Twitter. Uh, it's
2: like, well, everyone has a point of view, right? It's like yeah. you're extrapolating one person's point of view and every business was built by one person initially, right? Or like a very small group of people. Like you don't get together 5,000 people and build a business on day one. It just doesn't work right. that way. So it's like everything is made in the image or the like imagination of one person. Jack, Do- Mark Zuckerberg controls Facebook and obviously yeah, it gets what, a lot of heat for it.
0: That was the funny. I saw a lot of people sharing that yesterday, saying, "If you really want to quit Twitter, you should go and uh, go oh. onto one of the other social networks run by other <laughs> right. billionaires, like Evan right. Spiegel, Snapchat, or you want to go to Facebook, Instagram." With, and I completely agree. I mean, I think, I think uh, what Trung described earlier was a really good um, character characterization of like splitting up that other side of the argument into just anti someone's rich basically like why does someone even have this money why should billionaires exist that sort of you know umbrella to like the maybe more reasonable thing of what's his motives um like how is this actually going to impact? not just free speech, but hate speech. Is anything gonna go, you know, anything could go now on Twitter, how are we gonna protect people, make people feel safe and all that sort of stuff? Which again, there's a whole spectrum of ideas there, which some are reasonable and some are just also idiotic. So it just, it, that's that's one part. And I think, Jack, the way you just summarized it there was really brilliantly done as well. Um, like, you're right, like we all do have that echo chamber, right, and um, we are all We all have a, a point of view, and it's very difficult to get over that. The only thing I would say, which I'm not sure if I even completely disagree, but one thing I would say, it should be easier online to find those other points of view, but we don't because the algorithm shows us stuff that's most relevant to us. So we become part of these groups, and then the algorithm takes us into this, this uh, you know, spiral of the same views because we click and engage with it more yeah right so uh, if you could you could argue that in your current area like physical location people generally they might not all think exactly like you in terms of you know things they're interested in stuff but a lot of the time they're in a so- similar economic class you you mostly the politics are similar because in certain regions people are like left leaning or right leaning etc so i would say if anything the internet has the potential to show you those other points of view but it's difficult because of the way things the incentive design is such that you click on things that you are scared of or Insited really by. incited by exactly exactly well so, Rick,
2: actually if anyone didn't listen to that episode you should go back and listen to that he, he wants to turn Twitter. up
0: at, he wants to twit, turn up right. on someone's house right.
2: <laughs> yeah. right so so rick maybe got his wit the other uh, the only other thing is like you know when you say you're going to open source an algorithm it's like again, that's like, oh, that sounds great. How many people of all the people that that use Twitter are going to be able to understand That's the, true. Like the programmatic decisions that are being made to show them a piece of content? Like, it's, mm, know, a th- good these point. things yeah. are like, they're like powerful in theory. And I don't want to discount anything in, in practice. It's just like, this is an incredibly hard problem that people have been working on for a long, long, right. long, long, long time. And nobody's been able to get even remotely close because again, I think, Ad, like the business model is also a huge driving factor here right it's like if you're optimizing for engagement you're going to make it funnier edgier like more like extreme just sharper yeah pokier just like you want to you yeah. want to elicit pokier. a reaction
0: like Jack's yeah. uh, like Jack's thumbnails
2: on, on YouTube yeah. <laughs> there you go I mean it's the you know the Bitcoin <laughs> yeah, like, like
0: that face. <laughs> yeah Wait, is bitcoin
2: on. going to a million a million USD? yeah just like like we're i don't know the and you know actually um nikita beer you know uh nikita? Yeah, nikita. Okay. Yeah. he
1: had a social startup tbh acquired by facebook uh, yeah. he added elon he's like hire me that. twitter vp yeah product. i think
2: i think um Yeah, I've actually liked a lot of his takes on it, which is like people don't really understand how complex this problem is from somebody who has built a business that obviously operated in that space and got acquired by a huge player in that world. It's like this stuff is just like we've... It's a manipulation of biology in such a weird way that like when you give people the ability to say shit anonymously, to have whatever picture they want like to represent themselves and there's no real world consequences for what you say, you're not actually... You're not actually like um, creating an environment for humans to have a dialogue, right? It's just like this this abstraction, which is like has all these really horrendous incentives underneath it. Yeah. Quite honestly, that just creates uh, chaos. So uh, we'll see what happens with it. But um, yeah, I don't think. Well,
1: for, I want to say, well, former Reddit CEO Yishan Wang, that went super viral. You guys remember that thread? Yeah, he we talked about that thread. Yeah, yeah. Look, like, we talked about it briefly, but he was like like it is really hard to manage uh he's like at the end of the day it's like people just want to argue or like that's just where the default to in kind of these mediums right Is like it's just not that easy to allow free speech to bloom uh because of moderation problems are i mean facebook spends four billion dollars a year moderating youtube and google blah had to sit in the bin for 30 hours a day <laughs> looking at content when he joined that, google. Yeah,
2: that was a day
1: yeah so uh,
2: wearing my suit yeah wearing that, <laughs> I think a good, like, mental model is, like, if you imagine your, like, the coffee shop you go into or the bar that you drink in was anything like your Twitter feed, you oh, wouldn't yeah. want to be in there. It'd be, this is the worst fucking yeah. place on the face of the earth. <laughs> but it's entertaining <laughs> when you yeah, can watch it through thread a Thread boys a having
1: glass. a pint? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. oh, What yeah, did you drink? Really yeah, 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 imagine <laughs> yeah. that.
2: Sit down and shut up. Let me tell you 50 reasons why I'm drinking this beer. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, there are a couple of things I think, uh Jackie brought up a great points. The open algo, is just not that simple, right? So me, like, hand-waving, being like, well, you know, Elon can just say to China, hey, listen, it's out of my hands now that is open. We've exposed it. It's just not that easy. The other one that he wants to do that, uh, again, there hasn't been a lot of information on what that means, is like, I'm going to authenticate all humans. Uh, I actually spoke to our, our, our previous guest board, Elon, uh, the pseudonymous Twitter account. Great guest, by the way, amazing episode. But uh, I asked him if he was worried that meant that he would get doxxed. His opinion, and I agree with it, is when Elon said that the humanist angle, he just meant he's trying to get rid of bots by having way better, like, uh, capture verifications, right? Like, you know, those captures that you have to do to verify you're a human. Yeah, but that's yeah. not an easy problem either, right? Because it's a full-on arms race. People and these bot armies, they're trying to find every edge and every major platform from Google to YouTube to Facebook to Snap. They're dealing with this stuff, Right. And to say that oh we're just gonna make it and it'll happen overnight it's just not going to such a naughty problem like K N O O T T Y not naughty naughty. <laughs> yeah,
0: <both. laughs> yeah. I was about to say that yeah. was a new one. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: both problems. Uh, and the other thing that they said they're gonna do was um well get rid of bots that's just part of it right get a of, get rid of bots and open source. Uh, so yeah these are not easy problems as well. Say he could be in for a world of hurt. I think that's what Yishin Wang basically uh, laid on his thread. He's like, "This is not easy." Uh, I saw, the, uh, and, and the point he made in that thread, the former Reddit CEO, was like, "Elon is so important for like these real-world problems he's tackling, uh, like uh, going to space, uh, uh, clean energy." Although you can make an argument, which is what Elon's trying to do, is like free speech may be just as important as this stuff, if more first principle or more. more.
2: What's yeah. the point to go to Mars if everybody's like, you know, fucking going to kill each right. other on this ship, right?
1: <laughs> That's that. Yeah. So like, fair enough, right? It's true, like, true. that. So <laughs> too, I guess in the Contra to the uh, Yishan's thread is like, well, actually this might be more important. So there's all those pieces going on. And uh, so this will be released on Wednesday, April 27th, man, this, this Tesla price moves actually a little bit concerning to me because it's already gone down 12%. It could, uh, uh it could affect the financing uh the one thing somebody wrote here is uh i lost it but he basically said elon can stop the y- y- yo-yoing of tesla stock he just says i'm not going to sell tesla to do this deal fair enough but we don't know if that's the intention
2: mm, uh, you think that's what it is maybe it's um ken griffin doing pulling some strings
1: yeah because sure. now i mean
2: <laughs> it's it's he- it's bill gates shorting
0: tesla stock man we saw so, that so uh, text exchange with uh <laughs> with uh with elon musk he, did you guys see that i assume uh, for people yeah, who yeah, didn't yeah, see yeah. it there was a text exchange between elon and bill gates and uh yeah, elon was it, oh like my God. being asked to help on the philanthropy side and he was like first of all have you got a 500 million dollar short on tesla and he's like unfortunately yes and then <laughs> That is, we didn't actually oh, get to talk about that. Ballot. That was in between episodes. Yeah.
1: Well, that will get us canceled if we put up the photo that Elon did. Elon compared Bill Gates, for the people who don't know, to the uh, pregnant, a pregnant uh, male emoji <laughs> figure. Uh, and then, that's obviously, so the mainstream uh, uh, the haters are just like, this is the guy that's going to own Twitter. Uh, fair enough. Uh, again, I get it. All right? Um, but yeah, I think there are... Let, let me just throw one last thing here. I'm going to go super quick on this. But... So Ben Thompson, tech writer, we often refer to, I didn't get a chance to talk about last week, but his proposal of what Elon could do uh, goes back to the history of how Twitter started, right? Twitter really did start like a protocol. Like there are all these Twitter clients before. You guys remember all the Twitter clients? TweetDeck, Tweety, all these things where they plugged into the Twitter notification messaging protocol and had their own UX interfaces. But then Twitter realized, wait a second, we're just going to monetize all that. They shut off everybody, right? Uh, basically cap them at what these clients could do. But Ben Thompson's argument is that Elon should separate, and this can only happen as a private company. There's no chance this is happening if Twitter's public because of the, how the volatility and uh, the, the, how big of a change this is. You separate two companies. You separate Twitter app, which is what we use every day, the Bluebird app, and what we know and culturally what everybody knows is 200 million plus users. And then you separate Twitter, the protocol. You allow people to pay to use the protocol. So for example, Donald Trump's uh, social network, True Social, could just plug into the Twitter uh, a protocol. How does Twitter make money? Well, the Twitter protocol, you have to pay them to use the network and all the functionality of that protocol, right? The messaging, the notification, and you can do other ways to monetize if you wanted to. But the point being, it gets rid of all these monetization, uh, these moderation uh, questions, because now Truth Social or our Social Network ABC, they can deal with their own moderation issues, right? Uh, but they're just paying Twitter for the right to use a protocol, just the same way that uh, people use internet I mean, email protocol. Granted, you're not paying the email provider, but uh, uh, this is a privatized protocol. But um, three oh, points. I, can I just Go ask,
0: trunk on that one point specifically, I don't know the details of this, but I'm pretty sure they have something like this where obviously it's not separated, but they have these big data deals. Like I know with Google, for example. Oh, yeah, they have
1: big data deals, but it's a fraction of their, uh, of their to your point, revenue. They, they already have it, right? They,
0: they, they have, have to... something like that. And I guess the, the question is, the open question is, is it just that size because they're not that focused on it? and separate it out and you know gone gung-ho or is it that size because the that's volume the that's, that's the, the market. market exactly yeah. and and in my opinion like their biggest um, I just remember like Google would pay a pretty decent amount of money to get you know tweets into Google search do you remember they brought the real-time search into it and stuff like that
1: Yeah.
0: and um, I, I'm pretty sure they still have a, a deal right now. That, Like I know that was being negotiated recently. So Ben Thompson says he
1: actually answers your question directly. It's a great question. He says, actually, what Twitter, if you're to spit Twitter between Bluebird app and the protocol, what it actually does is why why is it hard to spin up a social network? Look at True Social. What's so hard about it? Having the network, right? Having the tens of hundreds of millions of uh, users. But basically what Ben Thompson is proposing is like, oh, no, you get access. To this Twitter user base, and the people that want to go to your network can choose to do so. That's not a guarantee it'll happen, but he's Got suggesting it. it helps solve the cold start problem. He's mm. like, I can port over and be like, hey guys, go in here. Uh, again, that's not going to guarantee you. you can port over everything. Trump hasn't been able to do it. So it's not that simple, but maybe you have a tooling that makes it easier. But now you have a free market of social networks and you find out. Actually, let's find out how much moderation people actually want, right? Do we actually just default into where we are now? Or is there like an optimal amount of moderation? And all these different business models could find out. And Twitter, the blue app, the one that we use every day, is no longer responsible for these moderation decisions. So who knows if it's going to happen. On the Trump part, the last thing I'll leave is this. uh, DWAC, his SPAC is trading down. About 15 to 20 percent, so people think that he might go back to Twitter. So there's that. Uh, but a lot of things are going on, man. This is not a done deal yet. Um, uh, it's done in agreement, a lot of moving parts still. So I, I suspect we'll we we'll might have to chat again in the future. But I got nothing yeah. more to say on that. No, Thank you guys.
0: That was great. Thanks for the comprehensive summary there, Trunk. The the only question I had, and I know we've gone for a while on this, but just because we're talking about it, this is a deep dive is the, the kind of question I have is, is there a better monetization model? I know we all hate ads. Look like I've worked with ads for a long time and I even hate them, right? But I understand the flip side is they subsidize a free internet. Yeah. And the ads online are generally way better than offline. And there's lots of benefits to that. But we know that was just a way for people to get free stuff that previously we paid for. Like we previously paid 30 to $50 a month for TV and what seven minutes of ads in 30 minutes. And now we complain about pressing a skip button on YouTube for watching sign for free after five seconds. So that, to me, is also the expectations of customers and users has changed so dramatically because we've been subsidized for 20 years in consumer internet anyway, um, or plus by by this point. And um, so that's one part. And you know like the question is like the, you know he's probably pretty anti-ads i'm assuming and i just think Twitter's just had terrible ads like they, they've never done a good job not necessarily from like the creative standpoint but just the back end the way the data works and the way that they actually um do all that that stuff that facebook and google do so much better that so maybe i don't think he's going to be focused on that if he takes over because i think he wants to find other ways to monetize. Um, but, but the question is like, if, it were, if there was a better way, maybe there would be something better and maybe or it just hasn't been created yet. And you know, we've talked about Web3 social networks and you know, uh, like BitCloud and those sorts of things where there's a different model for users owning a part of it and creating new incentives that aren't click-based, right? I I think actually a subscription model for content is closer to that already, where people are incentivized as a creator Yeah, and they have
1: the tools, they're bringing them out, right? They're
0: bringing the tool, exactly. And people are incentivized to keep you paying Ben Thompson, you just mentioned. Like, like we, I keep paying for his stuff every month because, not because of the clickbaity title, because I know he knows what he's talking about and I want the best content. So I think already there are people doing stuff, moving in that direction. Um, and the, the, the bigger question is, you know, what's that right balance? The same way we talked about Netflix. We all pay for Netflix, but if there's a free version, that's half the price or free, uh, monetized by ads, Maybe the market would decide. That's kind of how I think about it. Um, and so far, the market has decided they want free YouTube and they want free social networks. And when, until someone creates something better, then... I pay for uh,
1: YouTube premium, buddy. Don't, me too. Not so me too.
0: <laughs> That's true. But anyway, so uh, that was the only kind of open question I had. But um, yeah, anything else, Jack, from you before we move on to our last section, edge of the internet?
2: I wonder... I- I'm sure this information is available. just Twitter seems like such a, uh, such a simple company versus some of these other like huge internet behemoths, right? Like a YouTube or uh,
1: Facebook. Facebook.
2: Definitely. And it's, I think, I don't know how many, do you know how many, how many people work at Twitter? I think, Any ideas? I think it's seven. I heard today
1: seven and a half thousand. Five, yeah. 7,500. Yeah. So
2: that, a- that seems insane. Does it not see does that not seem insane to you? How yeah. many people work there?
0: But then Facebook is is 35,000, I think I I heard today as well.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up, Jack, because the the average revenue per employee at Facebook, even though they have tens of thousands of employees, is 3 million per employee. The average revenue at Twitter is 600,000. So they're monetizing. If you want to go apples to apples, which is not fair, obviously, but they're monetizing at 20% of what Facebook is, right? So actually, one of the things that I think the lender looked at the Twitter situation. They're like, they're probably have to fire realistically a a third of this workforce. Um, You know, not saying whether or not you should, but just based on the revenue per user number, there's a huge disconnect, right? Like they're, the value creation on that end is just not happening. And uh, I think there has been some allusion to the fact that they're going to have to fire like, hundreds if not a thousand plus employees which will shave enough off the uh, the expenses to basically get uh, Elon's interest payment in line but yeah
0: yeah, mm. and that's normally mm. what happens in a scenario like this yeah, right? Yeah exactly, like,
1: any classic leverage buyout you're going to come in exactly. and, and, and fire individual. listen not supporting any of this but yeah I can fire 12 floors of people mm.
2: yeah yeah interesting um, yeah there was a funny tweet. Uh, was it Hunter walk? Is that, uh, yeah, the know, they, said they, locked, they locked down the, uh, they locked down the codes. So no one could make changes after the like deal went, was announced. Oh, yeah. I think he said, um, Twitter went through a similar phase of locking down the source code from 2013 to 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they haven't done it. Like haven't done it a great deal. Right. In in that yeah. amount of time, um, Man, I think it's an incredible product. Like, it's definitely changed my life. It's a, it's a fascinating.
1: uh are going to be I paying a lot of money. Yeah, we'll be paying yeah. a lot of subscription service. Uh, but uh, last, last thing I'll add is this. Yeah, they will. The the they cannot do the updates anymore. Uh, that's just pretty standard MA uh, stuff. Is before the deal closes, which. Presumably it will take about six months. Uh, you can't be shipping all this new stuff, but to your point, like maybe they're shipping up some <laughs> stuff that right. they picking up some uh, real uh, real landmines in there. Um, what, you know, another, like if
2: this, maybe we save this for another episode, I'll just open up for the uh, percolation to begin, but all the pricing strategy with Tesla, you know, like the self-drive, like essentially zero margin um this is a, this is a, like as a software business. And you could argue that a good portion of uh, Tesla's margin comes from operating operating as a software business, right? Like you buy the self-driving component of the Tesla, they ship two lines of code to your car. It doesn't change the amount of money they spent developing the car, but it just, it gives you access to the yeah. software. So I think from that perspective, there's probably uh you know, I can't imagine this is a situation where he's going to figure it out down the road. There's probably some ideas already already cooked up on that front. Yeah.
0: All right, boys, I think we can... Uh, no, that's a the great point, Jack. I think for the sake of time, we can um, wrap it up. But overall, yeah, I know we've covered this a few times, but this has been obviously the biggest story going. And uh, really, this one, I was really looking forward to just digging in deep the way we did today because I think it's... yeah. Finally, we, actually, you know, it's not closed, but it's been agreed. We did and hit it now, to this
1: level. Like, this is like, this completely. was what we needed. Yeah, no, okay. this
0: was really me. I loved it. So just to wrap us up for the Edge of the Internet segment of the show, we've got um, uh, SBF, Sam Bamford, Sam Bamman Freed was on a podcast with Matt Levine. Is that right? Online launch
1: podcast. Uh, it's hosted by Joe Wisenthal and uh, Tracy Alloway my ostensible colleagues at Bloomberg Opinion. (laughs)
0: Ostensible, exactly. So, but what, Matt Levine was on it too? or I didn't hear it yet. They brought Matt uh, Levine
1: on. Yeah, so this is the second time. So, Matt Levine, as we've discussed many times on the show, he is... The LeBron James of Finance Writers, uh, they brought him on with Sam Bankman Feed, SBF. I don't think FTF. anyone's
0: ever said that sentence before, yeah. by the way. <laughs> the LeBron James. So this is the so second
1: like. time. You know what? I'll tee it up, Bilal, since I listened to it, but I'm going to yeah, ask. Yeah. So as our listeners know, Bilal Zadie is our resident Google expert and DeFi expert. So the, pre- <laughs> the premise of this episode and why it's causing quite a bit of buzz, I'm sure a lot of our listeners actually heard about it, was SBF was basically asked by Matt Levine the, the finance guru, uh, please explain to me like a five-year-old, essentially what is yield farming? Like what is going on? And the way SBF kind of explained it and blah, you, you correct me if I'm wrong here. If I, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing SBF, So I might be getting it wrong, blah, from my better understanding, but he's basically saying like, listen, there's a box. Okay. So these yield farming, uh, protocols, there's a box. You're saying the box is worth X, and you are getting people to put money in said box. And as more people put money in said box, the value of that box increases, right? So it has this dynamic of essentially a Ponzi scheme and like the memification of assets. The money's going in the box. Everybody kind of agrees that one day the box is worth 20 million. And the next day they agree, you know what, it's worth 200 million. And we'll start paying you box tokens based on these new valuations, right? Um, so Matt Levine says, uh, this is his reply. He goes, uh, well, the way you describe it, uh, the box should be worth zero. It kind of just sounds like it's a box, uh, but please continue. And uh, SBF is like, fair enough. Um, he walks through how like values in these kind of assets can be created and um, but still a lot of it just sounds like it's a box that people agree is worth something and then matt levine follows up again with listen i'm a fairly cynical person and uh and that is so much more cynical than how i would have described yield farming he goes you're just like well in the ponzi business and it's pretty good so wait he said i'm
0: in the ponzi business now."
1: Yeah, he's like, you like, like, I'm he's in like, the Ponzi business. No, yeah. like Matt Levine's like talking, he's not pretending to be SCF, but he's like, if I was explaining oh, that, it, he's like it. basically saying, he's like, oh, hey guys, this is what your farming is. Like, I'm in the Ponzi business. It's kind oh, of- got it. Yeah, 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 And yeah. Uh, SBF said, uh, this is crazy. SBF goes, I think that's a pretty reasonable response. Uh, but then, let you know, let me play around with the idea a bit. Uh, because that's one framing. And uh, and he goes, This is a great line for SPF. I think there's a sort of depressing amount of validity to that framing. <laughs> so, so SPF is like fair enough, right? Um, so Bilal, let me throw it to you. This idea of like uh again, I'm butchering uh SPF's framing of it, but it's like, you know, just this understanding there's a box, it's a protocol, and you kind of all just agree that there's value in it. Like your time in DeFi and you're looking at APYs, ooh, how how much of that resonates with you?
0: No, what well, the first uh, gut it, the first thing that I thought of when you were describing it was something that everyone agrees has certain value and it's based on other people coming into it. Yeah, that's a Ponzi by definition, I guess, right though again, the question we've the philosophical question we've asked many times on the show is like how much are other things that we use day to day based on similar principles like right? that's a slight stretch, but like if you just say any currency, right, currency doesn't have intrinsic value anymore. It used to mm-hmm. with, um, you know, being gold back or silver back to whatever. Now it is backed by a government and they, or, you know, which is right. obviously way more than a magic belief. box. We have a, yeah, exactly. a collective belief. In exactly. It. So it's still based on a belief that a government backs this, the economy backs this, the, you know, all the assets obviously in a country, that's why the US dollar has been dominant currency for many years so I'm not saying that's the same as a magic box where someone wrote three lines of code <laughs> and is now selling dog dog coin right but at the same time I think if you strip it down to this underlying idea the idea is if we all believe something to be true right and enough people believe that there's a chance that can be something that becomes true I'd say the same for gold to a certain extent right there's a tiny percentage of actual Intrinsic value in terms of like being used for machinery, factory stuff, and jewelry, but a lot of a lot of that, from what I've understood, is really based on the belief, the idea that this is a store of value. There's a percentage yeah. growth each year, etc. So, I'll, I'm just separating that first of all. I think we can say that about many things, as it specifically is around the yield farming idea. And for people who don't really know, again, I don't know if this is a real definition, but i think of yield farming as basically strategies and ways you can go and use a lot of these DeFi platforms or strategy uh, sites and you know basically compound your yield you'll get like one magic money internet money apy here and you'll use that to borrow against and then go again and again and again which if anyone who's worked in finance knows happens all the time in the finance world is what caused potentially the two thousand eight crash, we were taking these terrible assets, which were yeah. you know mortgage back you know those terrible mortgages mortgage and re-pa- yeah. exactly and repackaging repackaging a hundred times, and then we've all seen the big short where the stripper is like, "I've got ten houses yeah. right so again, I'm not saying they're exactly the same thing, but of course it's a similar concept, so I think. Like the two questions I always ask, like I said in the last episode, are where's this money coming from, right? Like, is it just them printing money essentially and printing yeah. a random doggy coin? And um, wait, what was the second one? I can't remember Probably now.
1: Probably a roadmap, right? Like we talked about it, is that Does this, yeah. well, okay. So sometimes you can bootstrap a business, right? We've talked about this. Sometimes you can, it looks like a Ponzi at first. We talked about with Axie Infinity, right? Like this game where like the dynamics are all Ponzi, but it's like, okay, now you have this war chest of money you know well uh, you know let's forget about the fact that he got hacked lost 600 million but like can you turn that war chest and use those funds to build tooling and a game and mechanics and community that can actually create this stuff right i think spf points that out he's like you know look at uniswap or look at uh, what is it a a x e uh, x or was it of uh, it and he's like you know in a way they do have this magic box element but there does seem to be a roadmap where they have a lot of functionality for society, potentially right in a crypto world. And the other thing I wanted to add, uh, blah was he hit on exactly your logic. He's like, he talked out through the lines. Like, well, you could value something like Warren Buffett did with cash flow, Right. Or look at the last 18 months of the financial markets. You have AMC, you have Hertz, you have GameStop. A lot of the value in these assets is just pure belief. The stuff you talked about. And, uh, I don't think he was justifying any of that. It's like, oh, this is, oh, makes it okay. It's like, it's just like. He's
0: trying describe, though, what's happening, right? And, like, and he's like, it yeah. is a
1: valid way to value. Clearly, the meme of something, as Jack, let's do it to Jack. Jack, yeah. you are the master of saying the meme of something clearly has value. We, pro- we just haven't discounted cash flow modeled it yet, right? Oh, yeah.
2: Sorry, I was on mute. The, um, I think it's just a more it's basically a like you're bypassing some of the other steps in the process. Like let's say GameStop, the value is created by people buying games, right? But we just made the game trading the GameStop stock, right? That the stock is now the product. Instead yeah. of the games, yeah,
0: that's a good way to put it. Yeah,
2: and then the narrative or the the team and the you know that's the like that's the way in which you bootstrap liquidity is like, and I think the NFT market functions in a very similar way, right? It's like even the notion of a roadmap or utility or this, every stock trades on that narrative, right? Future earnings, like multiples of earnings, but we ascribe a higher value and rightly so in a lot of cases to like a physical thing right i'm gonna bet on coca-cola because i know a billion people are gonna go out and buy a bottle of coke tomorrow i'm gonna bet on aave token because i think a billion people want to get six percent on their um you know on their deposits tomorrow because i think this website is positioned the best and i think the narrative is the best and i think they have explained you know, their ability to cut out the middleman in the financial tra- transaction the best. So I, I think it's like, it's almost competing narratives. And to Matt Levine's point, it's like, that sounds like a Ponzi. It's like, yep, I mean, <laughs> in in a lot of ways, yeah. You know, like some of those things go on to find like product market yeah, fit in some way exactly. and others don't. And like maybe some at the beginning, I think the ones that begin... I don't know. I think it always also depends on like what the vector is for adoption. Like if it's just like a joke, that's the reason this thing is like accelerating, look at a Dogecoin or something like that. It's like, there's probably a runway on that, right? There becomes a point in time where culturally something is not funny anymore. Or like that picture of that monkey is not cool anymore. But like Hey, people are addicted to Coca-Cola, and that's like you've got a pretty good moat there, right? That's, that's going to last for a long time. I think people are just starting to now play around with like meta products. Like this shit doesn't exist physically, but it's still a product, right? Like mm. you're going to go and consume content about it every day or like interact <laughs> with the community.: We got guests. We got a special yeah, guests.: uh, For
1: listeners, uh, Jack's dog just jumped come in on, come here.) On, come on. Come on. All right, so yeah. let, me, let me do this, guys, because I do have to boogie, but let me say, let me wrap a bow on this conversation, because SBF actually had another podcast conversation with Tyler Cowen, the uh, economist from George Mason, and you guys will love this. He says, what is Elon Musk's greatest product ever, or what's his most successful product? I don't think it's an electric car. I don't think it's a rocket ship. I think the one product he's created that's outperformed all other products in demand is Tesla, the ticker. Right, the ticker yeah, of perfect. Tesla. Right, mm. that yeah. is his masterpiece. How is Tesla priced? I don't know. It's worth Tesla. It's what people want. Tesla stock. That's brilliant, right? He understands mm. this. I mean, he teases out the meme portion of evaluation more with Tyler Cowen. But it's just funny when he's talking to Matt Levine because Matt Levine's just so blunt. Right? He's like, ah, sounds like a Ponzi scheme. And uh, but you know, SPF had Bilal's kind of answers. Like, you know what? I love how Bilal just took it back. He's like, guys, everything at the end of the day is a belief. No,
0: <laughs> well, not everything, but well, try. And, I know you got to go in a second. I did remember the thing that I thought about before. Basically, the kind of framework I have when, when I think about any project is, does it need to be crypto? Yeah. Like, that's the first question, which we've talked about before. Where does the money come from? Is it just you know, based on uh, printing an imaginary ma- magic internet money, or is it incentive based? Is it taking out a player like we've discussed in real DeFi, like the solid blue chip projects that that's what you're taking out the middleman. You're going direct. There's value creation there that is spread between more people. And then the last point is about valuation over time. Is it only going to grow because of great, the greater fourth theory, right? Like, yeah. and again, I'm not even saying that alone is, terrible right like as long as you know that's the game you're playing if you're buying nfts and they are a hundred dollars today and you know you think it's going to be um two thousand in a few weeks because someone else is going to come in later as long as everyone's doing something legal and everyone knows the game they're playing i'm not against that but there isn't necessary intrinsic value there the same way buffett would value based on cash flow and all that sort of stuff the question is, over time, have we are we going to move to a place where the market is only moved by the meme or, you know, the, the story, the Tesla example you gave there or the GameStop example Jack mentioned? Because I would argue in a global pandemic, when we've got all-time highs for a stock market, that already we've way beyond things making sense. So it wasn't just these meme stocks, right? The whole of the S&P 500 was at all-time yeah. highs. Right. So that was because the story was in greater society. The people actually make decisions. People are putting trillions of dollars in in stuff. They were the ones saying, oh, well, where else are we going to put our money? Money is free it's zero percent interest rates. We're going to put in real estate. We're going to put in stocks. And as soon as that the real life conditions changed and enough people believe something else, interest rates go up, growth stocks get hit. That is just how things shift. So I'm not saying it's exactly the same as fundamentals of buying Coca-Cola stock. Of course not. But ultimately, it comes down to humans making decisions based well, on it, the story they believe.
2: And I was just going to say one, like, one fundamental difference is like the incubation period of the thing. Like crypto and tokens are a very different vehicle than stock. So in the case of a yeah. GME, it's like, we've repurposed this into a meme, but it had to go through so many tests to get like listed on the New York stock exchange in the first place. Yeah. Right. It's a very different thing. And now this is like the token is the product and it doesn't have to go through all of those hoops and loops, which means like you get exposure to it from day zero, which either means, you know, you're going to go broke really fast or you're going to get exposed to a lot more upside because, you're not in on day of IPO, you're on day of like, we're in the garage and we're coming up with this idea. But the problem is it buggers up all the incentives, which I think we, maybe we're planning to talk about that today, the serial thing. We need to come oh, yeah, back yeah, and yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, no,
1: we'll come in. Let's say, yeah, that's a great one. Okay, we're we're not gonna ruin it, but people, big thing's coming.
2: Wait, wait,
0: just, yeah, For t- that was the the serial, the Obama thing, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. so just yeah, to we'll, te- talk up, we'll talk about it next time, week.
2: Yeah but it's uh it's a great uh thought experiment in incentives in this like tokenized environment yeah
0: completely all right i know Trung's got a boogie in a second but i think that was really nice discussion on that the last thing i was going to say the 30 second summary for me is like all these things we've talked about throughout the show there's a spectrum of good stuff and bad stuff there's people that are doing crazy stuff and there's people that are legitimately trying to take out the middleman with code and with a hundred times less people having to work in the chase across the street from me, right? So, and I think those people are building something legitimate and the whole point of this podcast is for us to be able to talk about them openly and say, these are the things we think are cool and have potential the other, here's a bunch of bullshit, but we're happy to play in the bullshit if we are all adults and know what we're doing. So uh, that is kind of how I think about it but like we said earlier depend if you're if you come into this conversation listening to that interview thinking defi and crypto is stupid and bullshit and a ponzi yeah. you're going to leave with that you can easily find the anecdotes that support your argument and vice versa so uh, yeah i think I, I i need to listen to that anyway it sounded like a, a good chat a few it's people a sent it to me
1: well here's the takeaway not investment advice there's final there, takeaway guys
0: there we go we got bring it back all right boys i think that was a really meaty one i really that was enjoyed meaty. that any uh parting thoughts before we before we say bye?
1: No, thank you listeners for the year honestly. Like uh oh, yeah. man, it was amazing. It was a great year guys. More to come. Yeah, Big it's, thing. Yeah.
0: It's been a, it's been a yeah, it's been an amazing ride and uh, we appreciate all the love and support and uh, like Trang said, we've got big things coming as always. <laughs> but we will no. But also d- go into the Telegram, and if you haven't shared yet, just know we are reading every single one of those. I've literally yep. got a spreadsheet with a word cloud going on the side to to figure out like what um, D-Y-O-R, we should. Uh,
1: number one, D-Y-O-R. do D-Y-O-R. your research.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. but no, it's really helpful. And it's it's helpful for us to make the show better and to make sure we're giving you guys what you want. Uh, because everyone has a different opinion what they like and um, so we'll try our best to, to take that feedback um, alright Jack anything else before we wrap up mate no that was great thank you gents that was fun likewise alright we'll see you next week thanks again and uh, yeah have a good week speak next, next week bye